Hey folks, this is Josh Schlossberg, host of the Green Root Podcast, the official podcast of Eco Integrity Alliance, where we're on a quest to uncover the roots of the modern ecological crisis. This episode, we have Andy Mahler. Andy organized the Forest Protection Network, Heartwood, people helping people protect the places they love. He is also founder of the Lost River Community Co-op, which operates the Lost River Market in Delhi, a member-owned natural foods grocery in Paoli, Indiana, Indiana, and Orange County Homegrown, which operates two successful farmer's markets. With musician Jason Wilbur, he produced the compilation Coal Country Music to help stop mountaintop removal coal mining. He's also a member of Eco Integrity Alliance. Welcome to the Green Root Podcast, Andy. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for having me. Really glad you're here. We do these podcasts fairly sporadically these days. Basically, the only podcasts we're doing with Green Root Podcast are things that tie into what's going on with Eco Integrity Alliance. And for folks who are not familiar with Eco Integrity Alliance, check us out at eco-integrityalliance.org, where we're uniting what we call the quote alternative environmental movement, although I think it's just the actual environmental movement. So anyway, Andy, I have you on the podcast this time to talk about something called the Buffalo Springs, and I'm going to put this next word in quotations, restoration project. And Eco Integrity Alliance is concerned about this. We wrote a letter. What is Buffalo Springs restoration project? Where is it happening and what's wrong with it? Boy, that I think we could probably fill in and entire hour with that, that question, but let's just get started. I live near the little town of Paoli, Indiana. Most people think of Indiana as being mostly flat and covered with corn and soybeans, but the south central third is unglaciated and covered with a beautiful, rich hardwood forest. A lot of that hardwood forest is growing on a substrate of limestone, which has an intricate and elaborate system of caves springs, rock cliffs, and so forth. It's got a very beautiful and dramatic landscape. This area of the state was the first area settled, and so it was fairly heavily uh, cleared at the time of the first Euro-American settlers. But before that, it obviously had indigenous inhabitants and then a full component of native mammals and other biological diversity in uh, the hardwood forest. That forest, uh, one of the features of that forest was a travelway that took migrating bison and other species from the wintering habitat in the bluegrass of Kentucky to their summer foraging in the plains of northern and central Illinois and further west. And that travelway was called the Buffalo Trace. It was the primary travelway for indigenous people and then subsequently for the Euro-American settlers who would cross the Ohio River at the falls of the Ohio, where the city of Louisville, Kentucky now is, and then traverse what became the state of Indiana and cross the Wabash River at what is now the town of Vincennes into Illinois. Halfway between the falls of the Ohio and the crossing of Vincennes is an area that was predominated by a complex system of freshwater and mineral springs that were frequented by the bison and then of course by native peoples and then the Euro-American settlers. 
because of the rich mineral content of those springs, that area has become come to be known as Springs Valley. It, uh, a, a fairly elaborate tourism and recreation industry grew up around those springs, which included such things as gambling, of course, but a lot of people would come to those springs all the way back into the early part of the 19th century, the mid 1800s, to come for the waters. Rail lines came through, it became a major stopping point on the rail line between Chicago and Miami. And over time, a couple of very elaborate and ornate uh, hotels grew up in this little, in the little towns of French Lick. French Lick is well known to basketball people and others because it was the home birth, home place of Larry Bird basketball legend. So that's what a lot of people know about Orange County is it's where Larry Bird was born and raised. But the towns of French Lick and West, Be West Baden, West Baden is uh, actually world renowned for an architectural feature called the West Baden Springs Hotel, which was at the time it was built back in 1910, the largest freestanding dome in the world. Largest, the previous largest freestanding dome was the Basilica at St. Peter's in Rome. And then it, it was the largest freestanding dome until the construction of the Houston Astrodome many, many decades later. Anyway, it's a phenomenal architectural wonder. With the other big hotel in French Lick, the two towns together, French Lick and West Baden, are known as Springs Valley. So between Buffalo Trace and Springs Valley, the Forest Service, which manages, of course, the Hoosier National Forest, which uh, occupies a significant portion of this south central third, the forested region of the southern third of the state of Indiana, came up with a new project for logging and burning and other activities in Southern Orange County, a 30,000 acre area of Southern Orange County. And they gave that area the name Buffalo Springs. Within that 30,000 acre area, approximately 18,000 is in public ownership and another 12,000 acres in private ownership, including the land where my wife, Linda Lee, a possum rehabilitator and retired school teacher, and I've lived for approximately 50 years. She a little longer, me a little less. So I was involved in forest protection efforts starting back in 1985, when the Forest Service at that time proposed to build 112 miles of off-road vehicle and motorcycle trails through the Hoosier National Forest. As someone who did not think that motorcycle trails were the highest and best use of our national forests, I became involved with and eventually became the leader of a small local grassroots group called Protect Our Woods. With a bunch of our neighbors, we organized to stop that off-road vehicle trail proposal, which was proposed for an area that the locals at that time called Little Africa, the largest area in public ownership in the entire county. It was called Little Africa by the locals because at the end, in the second half of the 19th century and then the first decade or two of the 20th century, it was actually a settlement of freed black Americans, including uh, escaped slaves by other free men who had established a agricultural uh, farming economy there in, uh, in that area that they called Paddy's Garden, which the Forest Service now refers to as Lick Creek Settlement. Orange County, Indiana was settled by Quakers from North Carolina, Orange County, North Carolina, in fact, who were abolitionists. And they moved from North Carolina to establish a, 
a, an abolitionist community here in South Central Indiana, which uh, in what became Orange County, what became known as the town of Paoli and brought with them freed slaves and other African-Americans who migrated to the area knowing that they had a chance to live full or as close to full lives as was possible for people of African descent in this country at that time. So anyway, that was the area where the Forest Service chose to put their off-road vehicle trails within an area that was characterized. The, the settlement disappeared in the early part of the 20th century, but there were still graves, lots of architectural sites. And sadly and tragically, that was the area where the Forest Service proposed to put all these off-road vehicle trails. Hmm. Well, not just the, uh, uh, the obscenity of putting off-road vehicle trails in this former black settlement, but also the harm to the natural scenic beauty, to the peace and quiet, to the wildlife, to biodiversity, uh, concerned a lot of the citizens of this county, and we organized that group, Protect Our Woods. I should point out at that time that it wasn't just the off-road vehicle trails. The Forest Service was doing radical clear-cutting on a fairly vast industrial scale at the time. Clear-cuts of 20, 30, and 40 acres were cropping up in the forest all around our homes. So there was a lot of concern with what the Forest Service was doing to an area that most of us assumed, because it was called a national forest, was being protected. So we organized to stop the off-road vehicle trail proposal. And, and you will note some historical resonance. The comment period for this off-road vehicle trail proposal came out in late October or early November so that the 30-day comment period just happened to fall on the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas, a time when most people are busy with their family and have other things on their mind besides responding to whatever the Forest Service is proposing. I mention that because of course, now we're dealing with another 30-day comment period that just happened to fall between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Anyway, at the time we organized to stop the off-road vehicle trail proposal, we were told by the forest supervisor at the time that the comments were running nine to one in favor of the off-road vehicle trail proposal. And in fact, at one time he told us they were running 99 to one in favor of the off-road vehicle trail proposal, but undeterred and completely naive and ignorant of what we were getting ourselves into, we tried to organize to stop that proposal. And I'm not going to go into all the details of what happened, but suffice it to say that we ended up being successful. Something that a small, underfunded, uh, under-resourced local grassroots group can hardly expect to accomplish when they first pull themselves together to try and figure out what they can do to stop something that they consider to be a major and grotesque harm. So we stopped the off-road vehicle trail proposal. In fact, it was the we got the Hoosier National Forest. Protect Our Woods did this with the help of the Hoosier Environmental Council and other groups, including a group called Forest Watch up in Brown County, Indiana. Anyway, the Hoosier National Forest was officially declared closed to off-road vehicles. The first national forest in the country officially closed to off-road vehicle as a, as a result of our work. But then we discovered that the off-road vehicle trail proposal had been separated from something called a forest plan, a land and resource management plan for the Hoosier National Forest that had been adopted just before they released the off-road vehicle trail proposal and was in uh, full legal effect at the time that we were working on the off-road vehicle trails. We discovered that this 1985 forest plan, which was adopted in response to the 1976 National Forest Management Act, which applied to national forests all across the country, and which was passed in response to citizen outrage at clear-cutting, 
that started in West Virginia and other states and spread all across the country. The National Forest Management Act required, among other things, that every national forest develop a plan and that all activities in that forest be keyed to that plan. So we then had to go into a fairly hurried uh, educational process, self-educational process of learning about this multi-hundred page plan with its environmental impact statement maps, supporting documentation and so forth. And we discovered the following about plan that had been adopted with very, very little public involvement or public comment. It called for the entire Hoosier National Forest. And let me pause for a minute to tell your listeners a little bit about the Hoosier National Forest. As I mentioned, it's um, in the south central third of the southern third of the state. And it occupies, there's a 644,000 acre purchase area within which the state of Indiana authorized the federal government to acquire land for inclusion in what would become a national forest once sufficient land was acquired. That process began in the 30s and the Hoosier National Forest was declared a national forest in 1951, which happens to be the year I was born. In 1951, the Hoosier National Forest was dedicated, designated as one of the last of the national forests formed in the country. The forest in the east, as opposed to the large public land bases in the western states, were all reacquired from land that had been in private ownership through something called the Weeks Act. So within the Hoosier National Forest 644,000 acre purchase area, at that time, 193,000 acres were in public ownership. Now it's up to 204,000. So you had approximately 200,000 acres in public ownership in a sea of private land. At the time we were involved with the off-road vehicle trail proposal in the conversation with the regional forester at that time, a man, Larry Henson, named Larry Henson, he told me that it was the smallest national forest in the country and the most fragmented national forest in the country in terms of the amount of private land that's interspersed with the public land, or in this case, vice versa, the amount of public land that's interspersed with a predominantly privately owned landscape. So anyhow, this two, approximately 200,000 acre national forest surrounded by lots of private land. The forest plan released in 1985, and it was the first forest plan in region nine, which is the Eastern region of the forest service, which is essentially Minnesota to Missouri, to Maryland, to Massachusetts. The Eastern region, the Hoosier National Forest Plan was the first national forest plan released after the National Forest Management Act in Region 9, and the Hoosier National Forest Land and Resource Management Plan of 1985 called for the entire forest to be open to oil and gas drilling. It called for up to five miles of road for every square mile of national forest ownership, and it called for virtually the entire Hoosier National Forest to be clear-cut on either an 80 or a 120 year rotation. And then of course it called for these off-road vehicle trails. But because the off-road vehicle trail proposal was so overwhelmingly uh, unpopular in the first area they designated to put it, they had decided to move it to Orange County and another area up in Brown County as a result of that public opposition. So they separated out the off-road vehicle trail proposal and went ahead and adopted the rest of the forest plan because frankly, they didn't care that much about the off-road vehicle trails. What they were after was the timber. Now, one place where the National Forest, uh, the Forest Service was interested in the uh, off-road vehicle trail proposal and other 
opportunities for motorized recreation is they were able to use an accounting trick to claim that they needed to build all these logging roads into the forest to satisfy this great public demand for motorized recreation. So we discovered in the files at the Forest Service office in Bedford as we were educating ourselves, a memo that had been put in there by the recreation staff specialist in which memo he stated that he had fabricated the data on demand for recreate, motorized recreational use, which justified the building of all these roads, but he had done it at the direction of his superiors. Mm -hmm. So this memo gave us a little bit of a wedge with which to pry open the legally concluded comment period on the 1985 forest plan. And as a result of that memo and the outrage and the widespread public opposition to all the clear-cutting road building, oil and gas, proposed drilling and so forth, mineral exploration that the plan envisioned, we were actually successful in getting the forest plan withdrawn and substantially amended in a new forest plan in 1991 which called for significant degree of protection that called for a substantial reduction of clear cutting. We thought it had banned clear cutting, but you know how the Forest Service is. They mm -hmm. are very clever at their use of wiggle words that allow them maximum discretion to do whatever it is they intend to do, regardless of public opposition. Anyway, we got the 1985 forest plan thrown out and a much, much better forest plan adopted in 1991. Okay, we're getting closer to where we are today. Mm -hmm. So in 1991, as a result of our remarkable success in changing the management of the Hoosier National Forest, I would characterize that success as follows. We were successful in changing the burden of proof. At the time we got involved, the burden of proof was on the citizens to have to prove why an area should be protected. And as a result of our successes on the Hoosier, it, it, it's not written in law or anywhere, but it became the, uh, the flavor of the times that suddenly the Forest Service had to justify why an area should be logged rather than us having to justify why it should be protected. That, I'd say, was the main psychological accomplishment mm -hmm. of our efforts on the Hoosier, other than our legal accomplishments and getting the forest plan thrown out, a new one adopted, the forest closed tower for vehicles and so forth. Anyway, in 1990, December of 1990 and January of 1991, we put out a call to people we had met through our forest protection efforts in adjacent states, specifically Illinois, Shawnee National Forest, about 360,000 acre forest, the Wayne National Forest in Ohio, another forest of approximately 200,000 acres, and then the Daniel Boone National Forest, in Kentucky, and if I remember correctly, it's about 760,000 acres, Daniel Boone. So with our friends in Illinois, Ohio, and Kentucky, and then later Missouri, West Virginia, and other states, we founded the Regional Forest Protection Network, Hartwood. And the intention of Hartwood was to protect the forest wherever the hardwood forest grew, but especially hardwood forest in public ownership where there were actually laws on the books with which we could try to accomplish some degree of protection. And that we wanted to protect the forest based on a bioregional vision of the forest rather than the administrative and political boundaries drawn on to the landscape by the Euro-American settlers and of course the subsequent American government and the division of the 
landmass into various states with all their political and administrative divisions. So we wanted to look at the land and and uh, and uh, dedicate our efforts based on the needs and the and the and the and the, uh, the the physical structures and the biological integrity of that land, rather than by the political and administrative boundaries that divided the land into various states and counties and so forth. So in our vision of it, well, in the traditional political division, major riverways like the Ohio and the Mississippi tend to be political boundaries dividing people. But in our vision, the rivers were actually the centers, it was the watersheds. So the rivers were what united us. The forest is what united us. Now with Hartwood, you know, we started new organizations in Ohio and Kentucky and, and hooked up with our dear friends in Illinois with a group called RACE, Regional Association of Concerned Environmentalists to form Hartwood. And then as I say, we expanded fairly rapidly into other states. For many years, Lynn and I would spend every weekend driving to a different state to try and find people who were interested in taking an uncompromising stance towards forest protection. There were lots of groups, most of them based in cities and college towns, that were interested in protecting the major recreational areas, but Protector Woods and then Hartwood was the first sort of mainstream forest protection effort that was dedicated to complete protection for these public forests. So we, uh, when we first started, you know, I mean, we we did, we were completely inexperienced, very naive, very uninformed, but we did our best with what we had to work with. A very small number of people, almost no funding, certainly none of the major funders would touch us in part because of our uncompromising stance. We were dedicated to winning complete protection for all these public forests, especially the ones in federal ownership where there were some laws on the books, National Environmental Policy Act, National Forest Management Act, Administrative Procedures Act, Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, and so forth that we could use to try and win some degree of protection for these public lands, for these public forests, and for the species that depend on them. When we established Hartwood, one of the things we would do is we would go to Washington, D.C. and lobby there, lobby in particular through the appropriations process to try and get the management philosophy of these hardwood forests in the central hardwood region changed from one of exploitation and extraction to one of protection and, um, and recognition of their extraordinary role in protecting water quality and biological diversity, among other things. And when we first started lobbying in D.C., we found that we had to spend almost more time lobbying the mainstream environmental groups than we did lobbying the Congress because they, the members of Congress would always say, well, what's, how's the, where's the Sierra Club on this? And so we'd have to say, well, uh, we'll find out for you. And actually, we knew that they, being the groups based in the cities and uh, college towns, were primarily interested in protecting the main recreational areas. And God bless them. They were doing great work but they weren't going nearly as far as we thought they needed to. So we tried to win over the Sierra Club, Audubon Society, National Wildlife Federation, Wilderness Society, and so forth, to try and help us achieve our vision for a much more robust and comprehensive and long-term degree of protection for these public forests in the Central Hardwood region. So when we first started lobbying in DC, we could not pass what is known as the laugh test, which is where you go into a congressional office and they say, what, uh, what is it you want to uh, try and accomplish? And we would say, we want to stop all logging in the national forest. And they would barely be able to hide a smirk, if not an outright guffaw at the audacity and complete in, uh, implausibility of accomplishing that goal. 
Well, once again, I'm not going to go into all the detail necessary, but within 10 years of Hartwood's establishment, we had stopped all logging in the Hoosier National Forest in Indiana, the Wayne National Forest in Ohio, the Shawnee National Forest in Illinois, the Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky. So that's 200,000, 200,000, 360,000, 760,000 acres, more or less, in those four forests. We also had stopped all logging in the Mark Twain National Forest, a million and a half acres. The Allegheny National Forest, I can't remember the acreage figure there, but I'm pretty sure it's a million or more acres. And then we had success working with partners down on the Bankhead Forest in Alabama, where they also got all the logging shut down down there. We substantially shut down the logging in the Mississippi National Forest and had had a dramatic effect on the management of the national forests throughout regions eight and nine because of that shifting of the burden of proof I spoke of earlier, where the Forest Service suddenly was no longer able to just do whatever they wanted willy-nilly without any opposition from the public. I mean, there had been opposition from the public, but opposition that had some teeth based on the fact that we knew the Forest Service's regulations and we knew the laws governing their operations better than they did. So the Forest Service had to basically retool their entire operation in regions eight and nine in order to continue to cut trees out of the national forests using the National Forest Management Act and the National Environmental Policy Act. So that was the major accomplishment of Hartwood is that we forced the Forest Service to comply with the law, at least in regions eight and nine. And I recently heard that our work in this half of the country actually had a profound impact on forests in other parts of the country as well, because the Forest Service realized how vulnerable they were. All right, that's the preamble. Now let's get ourselves more up to the present date. So what we have discovered now is that the Forest Service has spent the last 30 years trying to trying to build a reservoir of scientific and legal, a legal, legal and scientific framework within which to resume the wholesale logging that they were doing back in the 70s and early and mid 80s. So what they've done is they spent the last 30 years developing a, a scientific framework that has focused almost exclusively on those species, the handful of species that benefit from abused and degraded landscapes. Uh, and, you know, we can, I can walk you through this, but that is what they're doing. And I know comparable work has been done on other national forests all across the country because now what has happened, and I was retired from forest protection work, as you mentioned in your intro, after being involved with forest protection work for you know 15 years, I shifted my focus to trying to figure out what would happen if I expended as much energy trying to build a positive future as I had been spending the previous 15 years trying to stop what I consider to be inappropriate and destructive acts uh, proposed for our public land. So I focused on starting these farmers markets and uh, starting a member-owned natural foods community co-op. So, and then I had even retired from that. My wife had some health issues. And back in about 2017, I basically retired from activism and had been spending the last few years trying to spend as much time in the national forest as possible, knowing that climate change was rendering just about all the protections we had won for the national forests um, vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Knowing that climate change was changing the forest around me in ways that 
application of the National Environmental Policy Act or the National Forest Management Act couldn't touch, at least not in a short-term way. Climate has resulted in dramatic changes in the species composition of these forests. And so I was spending as much of my time as possible walking in the forest, knowing to some extent I was watching it go and be replaced by something else. Now, what it's being replaced by hopefully will be something just as beautiful, majestic, biologically diverse, and and uh, you know emotionally and physiologically significant to the, the you know those of us that reside here at the planet's surface. But in reality, you know, I'm getting old and the forest is transitioning to whatever it's going to be, you know, in the next, in the coming decades. But one of the things that was my greatest joy in walking in the woods, I would always take a little stainless steel cup with me, a little measuring cup. And, and this area is rich in springs, as I mentioned at the outset, the limestone and the forest and the abundant rainfall, we get somewhere between 44 and 48 inches of rain a year. The abundant rainfall, the healthy, diverse forest that we had protected, if we hadn't protected, it would have been a, a series of clear cuts across the landscape. But we had successfully protected this forest. There are these beautiful springs. You walk around these hills and valleys and you find this water, just clean, pure water bubbling forth out of the ground. You take your little cup. You dip your water in there. It's the sun is shining off the water. It's uh, the mu musical and magical sounds of the forest, whether it be the, the the wind in the winter or the insect chorus and the tree frogs and and the birds in the spring. Uh, the, it, it's just magical. And then the, to drink from clear, pure water straight from the ground is one of my greatest joys in life. Well, last year. October 2021, we received a three, I'm sorry, five by seven manila envelope in the mail from the Hoosier National Forest. And it sat on my desk for days. I play music with friends uh, at the farmer's markets and at the Lost River Co-op on a regular basis. And one night at the Lost River Co-op, there were some people there who were very concerned about this envelope that they'd gotten from the Forest Service. And I'd even forgotten that we'd received this thing. I had put it aside. So they were very concerned. One guy, Stephen Stewart, told me that when his mother opened the envelope, she broke out crying. And he knew right then and there that he was going to have to dedicate a significant portion of his life to trying to uh, address what made his mom cry and what made his mom cry. Now we're back to your original question, Josh. I don't know how long I've been going on here, but now we're back to your original question. Mm -hmm. What is the Buffalo Springs, quote, unquote, restoration project? Well, as I mentioned, it's a 30,000 acre area in the southern half of Orange County. It goes all the way from the second largest reservoir in the state called Patoka Lake in the west to the settlement formerly known as Little Africa, now more appropriately known as the Lick Creek Settlement or Paddy's Garden in the east. It goes from the Lost River drainage, which is one of a large underground river system, underground river system in the north down to uh, the uh, Buffalo Trace in the south. 30,000 acres between Patoka, Lick Creek Settlement, Lost River, and the Buffalo Trace. Obviously, that's not exactly the, the area, but that gives you some of the parameters. So in this 30,000 acre, 18,000 acres of public land, 12,000 acres of private land, they have proposed over 5,000 acres of logging, including 1,300 acres of clear cuts. They have proposed to build 
uh, something like 19 miles of road. They have proposed to spray 800 acres with herbicide, and they have proposed to burn 15,000 acres repeatedly for up to 25 years, the logging to be conducted over perhaps a 15-year period. And uh, of this logging and burning and uh, road building, it's worth noting, you know, obviously, the, I'm not unknown to the Forest Service, although there has been a complete turnover of personnel at the Forest Service since I first started my activist career. Uh, back in 1985, a complete turnover of Forest Service personnel, the last one that I knew from that period, having retired a couple of years ago now. Hmm. Uh, nonetheless, of that 5,000 acres of logging, 19 miles of road construction, 15,000 acres of burning, herbicide spraying, 800 acres of that logging is contiguous with our property, hmm. including clear cuts right up to our property line. Uh, 15 of the uh, burning all the way around us and right up to our property line, including on their maps of the 15,000 acres they're proposing to burn, 5,000 acres of that area proposed to be burned is private land, including our land. So they're proposing to burn our land now, obviously, with our permission only, but still, it's a little disconcerting on the Forest Service maps mm -hmm. to see your own property listed as being subject to repeated burning for up to 25 years. Mm -hmm. And also significantly, we happen to live at the end of a dead end road right past the Young's Creek Horse Camp. Well, they're proposing to convert eight miles of the 13 mile Young's Creek multi-use trail, but predominantly a horse trail into a logging road for up to 15 years. So they want to burn all around us. They want to log all around us and they want to haul logs that they've been cutting all around us out past our driveway for the next 15 years. So you can imagine when I open that five by seven manila envelope. I didn't start crying, but needless to say, my life changed. And that's why we are talking today is because of those changes. That was just a few days before um, my wife and my uh, 39th wedding anniversary. So the time between our 39th wedding anniversary and our 40th wedding anniversary, which was October 29th of 2022, has been spent almost entirely all my creative energies, most of my waking hours and a lot of my last thoughts before falling asleep and first thoughts when I wake up in the morning is how to protect this forest that to me is so much more than just a collection of resources to be managed and exploited. As you can imagine from the hours and hours and hours I've spent exploring and even more importantly, Josh, exploring, which means getting to know the places you already know even better, and drinking from those springs for the past several years and being embraced by that forest, being not separate from that forest, being of that forest, this threat to the forest is very much a threat to everything that's near and dear to me. Everything I said about myself is also true of, of my wife and of the land that we own here embedded in this landscape. We are not separate from the land and the land that we are not separate from is not separate from the land that surrounds it, which happens to be the Hoosier National Forest. So this is very, very personal to me. And it's something I have been dedicating, like I say, every waking hour to for most of the past year. And I, when I say every waking hour, obviously that's an exaggeration, but nonetheless, it has occupied a great deal of my time. Now, here's the good news. <clears throat> I'm not the only person that is so concerned. Uh, there's this amazing group that has grown up because actually what's interesting is uh, Protect Our Woods, the group that I helped to found back in 1985, had recently just given up 
their not-for-profit status and were in the process of dissolving when this project came along. So we have reinvigorated Protector Woods. Protector Woods is once again at the forefront of efforts to protect the Hoosier National Forest. And there's another group that has grown up. It started as a Facebook group, but it has become an actual group. And obviously the two groups are very closely intermingled, Protector Woods and another group called Save Hoosier National Forest. Mm-hmm. So both of those protect uh, both those Facebook groups are out there. And if anybody's interested to find out more, I'm on Facebook. I know Facebook is more for us older geezer types, but anyway, mm-hmm. I'm on there. And if any of your listeners would like to learn more, they can check out what uh, we're doing at Andy Mahler's Facebook page, Protect Our Woods' Facebook page. That's a private Facebook group. So if you'd like to join that one, please just send me a, a note and be glad to add you. And then Save Hoosier National Forest, which is a public group, and anybody can join that group at any time. We also now have a website, SaveHoosierNationalForest.com. But we've got young people. And let me just tell you about four of the young people that uh, are so very, very active on this issue and give me great hope for the future, knowing that a lot of what I thought was on my shoulders when I first read those documents from the Forest Service. Hmm. We've got a lot of shoulders uh, sharing that weight. And a lot more people joining us all the time. One is a guy named Robbie Heinrich. Robbie is interesting, an interesting character in part because his seventh great grandfather, I believe it is, something like that. He's, his family has been in the in this area for at least seven generations. Was one of those Quakers from North Carolina that came and was one of the original settlers of Orange County. In fact. He has a sheepskin deed signed by President James Madison, granting his family part of the land, all the land around where they still own. Obviously, they've traded off some of that land over the years, but they still have land that was deeded to their family in 1811 by President James Madison, five years before Indiana even became a state. So he has what is known in uh, legal terms as standing. (laughs) His family has been standing on that land since before Indiana became a state. And Robbie knows, Robbie's a very energetic, sophisticated, intelligent guy. He knows business. He knows knows, uh, the the legal landscape. He knows the, the economic landscape. And he's been a very dynamic and effective voice for forest protection. Jesse Laws, a horse rider, one of the leading lights in the Orange County Saddle Club. Jesse grew up riding that horse trail that I mentioned that runs past our door. Recently, the Forest Service clear-cut an area in the county south of here, Croft County. They clear-cut right on top of something called the Bird's Eye Horse Trail, and the horse riders are incensed to go from something that is a beautiful, mature, serene, peaceful, biologically diverse hardwood forest to a grotesque open scar of a clear cut with all the logging debris left on site and all the biggest, best trees hauled off to be made into shipping pallets or shipped to China for God knows what, has been an absolute outrage to these horse riders. So Jesse, who grew up riding these trails past our driveway and now has kids of her own who are off to college, Jesse has been a dynamic force calling for forest protection. Stephen Stewart, whom I mentioned, historian, absolute dedicated to knowing and studying and sharing the history of this area. He is working with a group to try and get the Buffalo Trace designated as a National Historic Trail and protected. He goes walking in the woods all the time, finding old archeological sites, old home sites, old pioneer uh, homesteads. 
and Stephen has been doing just a great work in trying to raise awareness about the historic, archaeological, and cultural uh, uh, treasure trove that this Buffalo Springs area is. He's also an amateur mycologist, and so he loves to study and find the mushrooms that grow out there. Another one is uh, Shane Murphy. Shane, when he was 11 years old, took his first, his father is a, a, a root and fur buyer. <clears throat> so Shane grew up in the woods. He knows these woods better than just about anybody. There's portions of the woods I might know a little bit better than Shane, but in terms of the whole Buffalo Springs area, nobody knows it better than Shane. Shane is career military. He started out in the Air Force, but did not feel that it was right to be piloting a plane. So he joined the, uh, you know, fighting from a great distance. So he joined the army and has been an active duty uh, army paratrooper for most of the past 22 years. Uh, active, served active duty in uh, both Afghanistan and Iraq, was injured uh, in, a, in a, uh, an ambush that killed the person next to him and blew the legs off his translator. He was able almost single-handedly to hold off the people surrounding them until help could come to get his translator. And I think there was another person in the Humvee with them to safety. But anyway, Shane has been uh, absolutely fierce because the, his peace of mind and his sanity when he was off overseas was knowing that this woods was waiting for him when he got back. This is the place he comes for peace of mind, for clarity of thought, and to be reminded of what's important in life. Shane now has a son who just took his first deer on our land just a couple weeks ago. Not only did the Forest Service drop their proposal for the Buffalo Springs area between Thanksgiving and Christmas, in uh, southern Indiana, there's another uh, season besides Thanksgiving and Christmas that's at least as, and in some cases, more important, and that's deer season, mm -hmm. when a lot of people are trying to fill their freezers with food for their families for the coming year. So those are just uh, four of the people who've been the people that who've inspired me we've also had extraordinary help from the indiana forest alliance based in indianapolis a statewide forest protection group they have done outstanding work of trying to help us at every step of the way and we're deeply grateful to them and so now you know they released their scoping back in october of last year now they've got the draft environmental assessment out and it is open for comment until uh, December 17th, which is a Saturday. So I believe that means we have until Monday the 19th to get comments in on this proposal for 5,000 acres of logging, including 1,300 acres of clear cutting, 800 acres of herbicide spraying, 15,000 acres of repeated burning for up to 25 years, and converting eight miles of the 13-mile horse trail that runs past our house into a logging road for up to 15 years. So there's the short answer to your question. All right. Well, thank you for that extensive background. I think that's really important for people to understand what's going on in a particular area, especially a region they might not be as familiar with. A lot of times it's the Western forests that people are, that's on their radar. So I think this is extremely important. Now, Eco Integrity Alliance, we did submit some comments. We put out a letter about this project and we have a good reason for doing so but here's my question to you and maybe this is how we can sort of conclude the episode why should somebody who doesn't live in that region care at all about this particular forest why should they take action and then maybe follow up with 
once you've convinced them, I hope, uh, what actions people can take about this. Thank you, Josh. Excellent question. And as you can tell, I'm a little bit long-winded, so uh, I'll try and keep this one a little shorter. But the reality is, based on what I shared with you earlier about what happened when we got involved on the Hoosier, we thought we were just going to stop these off-road vehicle trails and then it turns out we wound up getting the entire Hoosier National Forest closed to off-road vehicles. We thought we were just trying to get uh, the clear cutting reduced on the Hoosier National Forest and wound up with a whole new forest plan and a whole new philosophy of management for the Hoosier National Forest. With uh, our work on Hartwood, we intended to stop the logging but we had an impact far beyond our region because of our success in litigating on the laws and regulations that were supposed to govern the Forest Service Act, the Forest Service's activities, but which they had been routinely ignoring because they had not been sufficiently challenged. So we have a history of providing a framework for greater success for people working on other forests in other region based on this tiny little relatively insignificant rounding error of a national forest in Southern Indiana. So here's my commitment to your listeners and to the Eco Integrity Alliance and to all our friends and allies in the Western forests and throughout the country, is our commitment is not just to protecting Buffalo Springs. And I feel quite confident that we've got some serious momentum behind us now. We've got good political alliances. We've got good science. We've got good legal help. I, I think the greatest the greatest problem for the Forest Service would be if they do succeed in getting this thing through, because I think the repercussions for the Forest Service will be much greater if they do succeed in cutting any of these trees than if they just figure out some graceful way to back out and let it drop. Because we have got serious momentum behind us, and our commitment is not just to protecting the Buffalo Springs area. Our commitment goes beyond Buffalo Springs to com 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 protect all of the federal ownership in Orange County because there's one area in the northwestern part of the county that has a very substantial area of relatively mature, relatively undisturbed forest. And we know that if they succeed with Buffalo Springs, their intention was to go after that next. So that's not gonna happen. So we're gonna get all the national forest in Orange County protected one way or another. And I believe, I feel quite confident being able to say that, although I don't know exactly how, whether it be through lawsuit or some other means, but even with Hartwood, and with Protect the Woods before it, we don't know exactly why we were successful. We know is that we worked as hard as we could doing everything we could think of to do. And suddenly the forest was quiet. There was not the sound of chainsaws. There were not building new logging roads. We've had close to 25 or more years of peace in the forest as a result of our efforts all those years ago. Hmm. We had a success in part because at that time we had a congressman named Jim Johns from the 5th District, 5th Congressional District of Indiana, which doesn't include any part of the Hoosier National Forest. In fact, it's up in the northwestern portion of the state, or it was at that time. Jim Johns was on the House Appro Appropriations Interior Subcommittee, House Interior Appropriations Subcommittee that oversaw the Forest Service. And through his work on that subcommittee, he made life very difficult for the Forest Service bureaucracy. And eventually they realized that there was not enough timber on the Hoosier National Forest to be worth messing with. And they basically 
backed off to some extent because of Josh, I'm sorry, Josh, because <laughs> of uh, Jim Johns being on that committee. Well, now we have the ear of one of Indiana's two senators, a guy named Mike Braun. Mike Braun owns more than 15,000 acres of forest land in Southern Indiana, including over 600 acres in the project area. He is starting to realize that the Forest Service is, is not being fully up front and forthright in their responses to his concerns. So he is starting to get more actively involved. And he happens to sit on both the Senate uh, Agriculture Committee and the Forestry Subcommittee. And he sits on the Senate Appropriations Committee, which means he has the Forest Service ear. And if we also have, if we have his ear and he has the Forest Service's ear, we have the potential for making policy or at least changing changing the dynamic of equation with respect to forests at the national level. Now, I can't promise that, but what I can tell you is that there is a track record of us in Indiana helping to protect forests in the western half of the country. In fact, Jim Johns went on to become a champion for the ancient forests mm -hmm. of California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Montana, Idaho, and so forth, Alaska. Jim was a real forest champion and was uh, one of the the leading lights in efforts to protect the ancient forests of the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So anyway, our commitment to you is that once we are successful in protecting the Buffalo Springs area and all the national forest ownership uh, in Orange County, our dedication is to try and get permanent, comprehensive, long-term protection for the entire Hoosier National Forest, but not the entire Hoosier National Forest by itself, but the Hoosier National Forest as part of an unprecedented multi-state uh, dedicated biodiversity and climate preserve system that would include the Shawnee, the Wayne, and hopefully the Daniel Boone, maybe the Cherokee, maybe the Mark Twain, as much other public forest ownership as we can figure out how to get protected. We are going to try and get protected as a multi-state climate and biodiversity preserve system. And then hopefully we will have the ball rolling enough that that same approach will be adopted by national forests all across the country that the entire national forest system will become a biodiversity and climate reserve network. Yeah. So back to the Buffalo Springs area, it is open for public comment. Uh, you can get information about how and where to provide comments on those Facebook groups I mentioned or at savehoosiernationalforest.com or at the website of the Indiana Forest Alliance. Indiana Forest Alliance is doing amazing work. As I said, if you visit their website, they will have information about how to comment. And they will help you come up with the comments that will be most helpful to us when we if and when we have to pursue litigation. They have engaged the services of a very highly respected and competent attorney named Bill Eubanks, and Bill is helping them and us craft our comments in response to the Buffalo Springs proposal to increase the likelihood that not only will we get the Buffalo Springs area protected, but that protection will extend to the Hoosier National Forest, to other states in the hardwood region, and ideally and hopefully to forests all across the country, including the forests of Colorado, Montana, Oregon, Washington, California, New Mexico, Arizona, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's why this is so important. Obviously, we need to be starting everything local because imagine if every community had 
an organizing force like you, Andy, and your community, that would be incredible. But then, of course, it's regional, it's national, I mean, it's international, and it's like the easiest thing we can do right now for climate. It's not even doing a thing. It's not doing a thing. Let's not destroy our forests. <laughs> it's such a no-brainer that, um, yeah, I mean, it. sometimes I get a little bit cynical because it's like, all right, if our elected officials are talking about climate and they're not doing the first thing these days around forests, they're not serious at all. But clearly we have to impress upon them how important this is. That's why I think this project is, of course, uh, something that needs to be stopped. That's why Eco Integrity Alliance has weighed in with our, you know, our limited limited uh clout there but still we're a national entity with folks across the country and we want to hammer home this project is essential to stop and just i want to quote really quick from our letter just so how we tie it into also that bigger picture and i appreciate you talking about how this climate reserve over time is definitely the goal but our quote is the only sound ecological and economic choice for national forests is to end all extraction Indeed, preserving every acre of our public lands in the U.S. is a crucial part of protecting half Earth, which late biologist E.O. Wilson believed to be the only way to stave off ecological collapse. So we're looking at this locally, regionally, you know, statewide, nationally, globally, and we have to have all of the pieces in place. We have to be doing all of that. And so what we said at the end is canceling the Buffalo Spring Project is a, it's a darn good place to start. Uh, we hope it does get canceled uh we we do think that you guys are definitely given the the forest service a black eye and i don't think they um really knew what they were up against uh so we'll see where it turns out we have the links available in the description so we definitely urge folks to take action before that that period uh the comment period ends on the 19th you say so we'll have this out uh within the next day so any last words for folks, Andy, on uh, this issue? Yeah, there's a couple of things, Josh, because one is that the great thing about having a proactive vision that you're working for as opposed to just some kind of a, a, a horrific project that you're working against is that you don't have a timeline. Now, obviously, to stop Buffalo Springs, we have to work within their timeline. But to develop our positive framework and alternative, we just... Just, we're just getting started and soon they're going to be responding to us instead of us responding to them. So even after the comment period expires, I would encourage your listeners to contact Senator Mike Braun's office and let him know what's happening in national forests all across the country. He needs to know that what's happening on the Hoosier is not unique to the Hoosier. Right. I just saw something on one of the lists that we are both on, Josh, about a one project on one ranger district, I think it was the Colville National Forest, one project, 292,000 acres. Another one of these restoration projects, 292,000 acre project. This one project in this one ranger district is more than half, it's almost half again as big as the entire Hoosier National Forest. So the paradox here is those of us who are in this public lands poor, but population dense, region of the country, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, we have the opportunity to be great partners to those of you who are in population, uh, lower, less, less populated, but, pop, but public lands rich areas of the Western states, we can generate the political clout to help you protect, 
protect the large acreages of public lands in the West if we work in partnership. And that's what's so great about this conversation, Josh, is this is an excellent representation of that partnership going forward. And I'm so grateful to you for inviting me to come on. So grateful to your listeners. I hope they will go check out Indiana Forest Alliance or SaveHoosierNationalForest.com. Get some comments in on Buffalo Trace and let's get this climate preserve system started and get it growing all the way across the country. Absolutely. It sounds like a good plan to me. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks, Josh.